0: If you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to pull them out and open them to Romans chapter 8. We're going to do something really ridiculous today. Uh, We we got off track last week for a good reason, so now we've got to preach through chapter 7 through 10. It's not going to happen. So we're going to spend a lot of time at 8, but we'll reference the other ones. So here's my challenge to you this week read your Bibles, all right? You think we could do that? Read your Bibles. Get in here, because Romans chapter 8 is life transforming. I mean, it's crazy. Nine, ten. read read them all, but spend some time every day just getting into God's Word. Journal it. Pray about it. Find ways that you can apply it to your life because I believe that as you get into God's Word and as you apply it, your life will be changed. It will be changed 100%. And so we're looking at at Romans, and again, we're going to be looking in in chapter 8 here in just a minute, but just to give you a recap of where we've been. We started out in Romans 1 and 2, and, and it told us that we're guilty, right? We're, we're guilty, we are sinful, we, we have gone away from our creator, we've gone away from what God wants to do, we have sinned, and because of that, we are guilty and we are deserving of God's wrath. We're deserving of God's wrath. We're experiencing it here today uh, through just sin that's entered the world, through the bad things that are happening to us. Uh, but one day, sin is kind of storing up, it's building up, and, and when we hit judgment day, God's wrath will pull out, pour out in full on us and, and we'll be sentenced to hell. I mean, that's, that's the reality uh, of life because we're guilty of it. The wages of sin is death. It's death. Thankfully, Paul didn't stop at Romans 1 and 2. Uh, we went on to chapter 3 and, and 4 where we discovered that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And even though he wasn't deserving of death, he went in and he took the punishment for us. He, he took the place. He took God's wrath when he died on that cross. Right? And now when we have faith in Jesus, God gives us his righteousness. God gives us his perfection. So when Jesus sees, or when God sees us on judgment day, he doesn't see the sin any longer. He sees his son. He sees holiness. He sees righteousness. And now we can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And and it's amazing. And on top of that, God's given us peace with him. He's given us access to the throne room. He's given us access to grace. He's given us hope for glory that Jesus will one day come again. And so that's Romans so far, right? And, uh, but sometimes we don't get excited enough about God's grace, right? Everybody's quiet right now. Like, we should be, I mean, I'm in the same boat, but we should be cheering. We should be loud because God's grace has done something that we couldn't do, right? We should be destined for hell, but church, now we can go to heaven if we have faith in Jesus. But man, you'd be more excited this morning if I was throwing out free t-shirts, Right, I mean, come on. We need to get excited about God's grace. This is something we can't do on our own. See, some of us we're walking around living in defeat. We're we're living in guilt. We're we're living defeated lives. And Romans chapter eight tells us that's enough. We we can't do that anymore. We we once had a little dog named Cooper. He's the first dog that Angie and I had together. He's a little cocker spaniel. We got him when he was a puppy, and uh, Cooper loved to chew things. Anybody have a dog like that? Just loves to eat stuff up. I mean, it was constant. There are still marks in our house today from Cooper. I mean, look at like that table used to be whole, but now it's now Cooper chewed it, right? And all those things. And his favorite thing to chew was socks. He loved socks. And so every day when it was laundry, or every time when it was laundry day, it was a battle. I mean, I'm trying to fold laundry, Angie's trying to fold laundry, and Cooper's sitting there stealing socks and just bringing them to another room and trying to destroy these things. It was frustrating. So I finally had enough, and one day I took the laundry basket and I threw it on top of him, and he was trapped. And he's this little pup, and he tried getting out. I mean, he tried his hardest, but he wasn't strong enough. He couldn't figure out a way. You know, he's trying to paw through the little holes and all that stuff, and he couldn't get out. And so he was trapped. And so eventually he just gave up and sat down, and it was so nice. We could do laundry And not have to worry about our socks being stolen. So every time, it was just kind of our tradition, we'd take the laundry basket out and we'd stick it over top of Cooper, right? (laughs) And and so that's what it was. All right, Cooper, you stay there. We're going to fold laundry. And so it worked really well. But then Cooper got bigger and he got bigger and he grew and he grew. But every time, we'd throw the laundry basket over him. Eventually, Cooper was full grown. And he was more than capable to just stand up and walk out of the basket. But you know what he did? He just stayed in there because he thought, I'm trapped. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't do it. I mean, he's like hunkered down in there, you know, he, barely any space left. But we could contain him because he thought, I'm defeated. I, I can't get out. And, and some of us today, I think mean, God has given us more than enough power through his grace to overcome the attack of sin, to overcome the attacks of Satan. But we're still sitting under there saying, I can't get out. I'm living in defeat. You know, I can't get out. I'm living in guilt. My sins. I've done too much. You know, sin's still got a hold on me. But today we need to understand that, that God's grace has given us more than enough to overcome the attacks of the enemy. It's given us more than enough to live victorious lives rather than lives of defeat, rather than lives in guilt. And that's what Romans 8 is going to teach us today. So today, if you're struggling with guilt, read Romans 8. If you're struggling with sin... Read Romans 8. It'll change you. If you're having a hard time, read Romans 8. If you're struggling to pray, read Romans 8. It'll it'll help you. If you're feeling distant from God, read Romans 8. It'll bring you closer. Right? If you're feeling good today, read Romans 8. It'll make you feel better. Right? So that's what we're going to be looking at. Because it starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. So today we're going to be looking at two big questions I think Romans 8 answers. And that's this. What happens to your sin when you have faith in Jesus and ask him to forgive you. Right? What happens to your sin when you're saved? So that's something we need to look at. And, and maybe I'll illustrate that a little bit here today. Uh, so like we talked about Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. When, when we have sin in our life, it's kind of like, imagine this is your permanent record here. All right? No erasing it. Uh, when you tell a lie, it goes on there. gets sinful. Uh, when... Let's see, you, you dishonor your parents, that's one of the top ten, you know, you can't do that. Uh, when you have idols, when you put other people in front of God, when, uh, let's say, you commit adultery, uh, whether physically or in your heart, you know, all these different things, and, and it's like our, our sin just keeps building up and keeps building up. So the question is, what, what happens, right? What happens to our sin when we get saved? What What's new? So we're going to be looking at that question. Uh, second question is this, and this is the one I've been kind of wrestling with and, and learning as I've been studying Romans chapter 8. The question is this, what happens when you sin after you get saved? Anybody ever wonder that question before? What happens when you sin after you're saved? Because inevitably, we're, we're still human, we, we still mess up. We may not mess up as greatly or as much or in the same ways, but you know, inevitably we sin. So what happens to our sin after salvation? So let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and here's what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's short. I'll read it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you want to speak to our lives today. I pray that you'd open our ears, open our hearts so that we can hear from you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So everything we just talked about, all, all the way through Romans chapter 8, we, we had the opportunity to serve God as, as creator, but we failed. We sinned. Uh, we, we were deserving of God's wrath. We've been building wrath up. There's no way out, but then Jesus came, right, and, and he took God's wrath for us, and so when we believe in him now, we are saved, right? So now it says, because of that, there is no condemnation when we have faith in Jesus. I mean, this is, this is great news. Right, so again, what does that look like? What does no condemnation look like for our sins? Because sometimes, this is human nature. How many of you know that human nature, we can forgive people, but we don't forget about what they did? Anybody been there before? Uh, I met a guy uh, growing up in our church. His name was Randy, and Randy was, I don't know. 50s 60s somewhere in there but randy was, was an incredible human being uh, i met him at our church softball team and even though he's 50 60 years old he was our center fielder and he's climbing the fence to rob home runs i mean that was randy i think he he got out twice the entire year in church softball i mean the guy was a beast i mean i, I loved randy and so randy came in and, and he just got radically saved and God did a great work in him. This was a guy who had lived a hard life. He, he had done, I mean, he had a lot on his rap sheet, right? He had a lot on his permanent record, but God completely changed him. He, he got involved. He started serving in outreaches in our church. He was invited to be an usher in the church. You know, so many cool things that that was going. But one day, Randy came to me while we were playing softball, and Randy was just, he was broken up. I mean, he was just distraught. And he had a, a burning question he wanted to ask me. And he, and he told me his story. He said, you know, uh, the other day I, I volunteered for, you know, a, like a VBS for a kids ministry. So I needed to fill out a, a background check for the church. And he said, I, I know I've got skeletons in my closet. There's things in my past that, that I'm not proud of. And so they, they did the background check and they let me work in kids ministry. But ever since that day, nobody's asked me to be an usher again. And he was really hurt by that. And he said... If Jesus was willing to forgive me, then why won't the church? It's like, oh, man, well, that's a deep question, Randy. Here I am, a 15-year-old playing softball. Why are you asking me that, right? But it's stuck with me all of these years. If God's willing to forgive me, then, then why won't the church? You know, as humans, it, we can forgive. That's hard, but it's so much harder to forget. And so sometimes we view God in the same context that we view the people around us and what we've experienced. And so when God tells us that he forgives us, sometimes we think he just does this with our sins and just turns the board around. And then we live in fear the rest of our lives that at just the right moment when we mess up again that God's just going to go, wait, remember this? (laughs) Right? And then when it's convenient for him, he turns it around again. But you know what? That's not what Romans 8 says. It doesn't say that God just puts it away when it's convenient. It says there's no condemnation, right? It says there's no condemnation. Sometimes we, we think that, uh, you know, you've heard, you know, like Jesus' blood covers our sins. And so we, we kind of think, well, maybe, you know, Jesus just kind of crosses these out and, you know, he, he makes it much better and, and we can't see it. But how many, has anybody ever gotten like one of those redacted documents or somebody like, you know, sharpied out different things? What's the first thing you do with those? I mean, you hold it up to the light and you're like, what are they trying to make sure I don't see? Right? But, but no, that's not what Jesus does with our sins. It says there's no condemnation. So that means your sins are gone. Right? We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in guilt. There's no condemnation to condemn. That's a legal term. Right? And so when, when God looks at your permanent record, he doesn't go back and says, ah, oh, you know, you used to be a liar, but now you're good. No, he looks back and he says, you were never a liar. There, there was nothing on your list. Your sins are gone. Your sins are forgiven. I remember them no more. They're not on your list. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You're clean. Your slate is wiped clean. It's no longer there. It's as though it had never been there. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees you. We, we see that uh, in a couple of verses in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 says this. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God will remember our sins no more. He's not going to pull it back when it's convenient, right? You've all been in those those, uh, arguments before when you thought that that other person forgave you, but then all of a sudden they brought back, you remember in second grade when you said these words to me. I thought we were over that. God's not going to do that to you. He's not going to bring those back up because your slate is clean. They are no longer there. Psalm 103 verses 11 and 12 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. I saw an illustration one time. I want to share that with you. Clara, if you can throw that ball to me. Thank you. So I got my globe here. Let me find us. Oh, they don't have Aberdeen on this map. I can't believe that. All right, just they have Sioux Falls and Rapid City. We've got two states or two cities from South Dakota represented on this, this ball. That's interesting. Um, all right, so if we got Aberdeen here, right, and if you wanted to go north, if you wanted to jump on 281 and go up, and you start traveling through North Dakota and through Canada, you know, and you eventually get up into the Arctic, uh, at, at some point you're going to get to the peak going north, if you just keep going north, but eventually you start going south, right? And you go on the other side of the world. You can only go north so far until eventually north and south meet, or you go south and eventually south and north meet. However, if you're starting in Aberdeen, you jump on Highway 12 and you start heading east and, you know, you go through South Dakota and then Minnesota and Wisconsin, you just keep on going around the globe, you can keep going east infinitely. And you will never start going west. The only way to go west is to turn around and go the other direction. And you could go around that infinitely. And when it says that, that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, the east and west never touch. And, and that's what God is trying to tell us is, is that they're gone. They're not going to touch. It's impossible. It, it's, in, it, it's not just improbable. It is impossible because the east and west never touch. I will remember your sins no more. So that's what happens. Our sins are gone. Our sins are wiped clean. There is no condemnation. Some of you guys, you're walking around living in guilt of what you did a long time ago. Now, while man may remember that, God remembers it no more. So you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in guilt. You don't need to let that laundry basket hold you captive anymore because God has given you freedom, and you can walk in freedom today. Okay, so now question two. Uh, This one There's my marker. Uh, This one is is interesting, right? What happens to sin after we get saved? Or what happens to our sin? What happens when we sin after we get saved? Because sometimes this is how I always pictured it for the longest time, right? So we go and we tell a lie after we get saved, right? Well, now aren't we back in the same spot we were before? Doesn't it feel that way? That it's just like, oh, I told a lie. And, and now I'm done. But we do know, First John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from our own righteousness. So when we say, you know, Lord, will you forgive me? You know, it's gone again, right? But then what happens on Tuesday when, when we, I can't spell, when we lie again, right? When, when we have hatred build up in our heart again, you know, what, what happens? And it feels like we get into this, Never-ending cycle of, oh, I sin, Lord, forgive me. You know, Lord, I sin, Lord, forgive me. We keep ripping sheets off and ripping sheets off, and, we, and we're trying to figure out what happens. So my question to you, is, if this is your philosophy, is what happens if, you know, Wednesday morning you tell a lie, and then Jesus comes back, or you pass away? What happens? Do you go to heaven or do you go to hell? Because, I mean, it, it's on the board, right? It's on the permanent record. Just one sin is worthy of death. So, so what happens? All right? So that's the question that, that we're pondering this morning is what happens to our, to our sins? All right? Am I in the same position as I was before I was saved when I sinned after I'm saved? Well, verse 2 in Romans chapter 8 tells us this. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So it says that now that you're saved, now that you're saved, you're no longer under the law of sin and death. You are no longer under the old covenant. You are no longer on the whiteboard system anymore. But a lot of us, we live as though we're under the whiteboard system. Now the system has changed. So this is exciting news. Let me explain it a little bit better to you. Uh, In Romans chapter 7, at the beginning of it, it gives this illustration of marriage. And it says, when you're married to someone, if you would go and you know, go sleep with someone else, are you guilty of adultery? Yes, right? Because you have entered into that covenant. You have entered into that marriage, you know, you you signed the papers, and now you go and you're breaking that covenant. You're you're under that law, you're under that covenant. However, if your spouse dies and you would go off and marry another. You know, and, and, and sleep with them, would you be guilty of adultery? And so it says, no, because your former spouse has died. You've done everything right. You, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing. And it says, in the same way, you used to be married to the whiteboard. You used to be married to the law. You used to be under the old covenant used to be under the Ten Commandments and having to do everything right. And when you sinned, you, it got written up there. And you had to ask for forgiveness and, and make it all clean, right? That's the way you used to live. But when you, when Christ died and when you believed in him, you died to the law, right? You died to the whiteboard. You're no longer under that system anymore, that is not who you are. That is not your identity. That's not how you, you get into heaven anymore. It's no longer trying to work through that. See, now you're in a new relationship. Now you're in a relationship with Christ. You're under a new covenant. You're not under the old covenant anymore. We're no longer under law. Now we're under love. We're, we're no longer lived by works. Now we are under grace. We are no longer under religion. Now we live in relationship. We are no longer led by the sinful nature. Now, verse 2 says, we are led by the Spirit. So, I mean, this is, this is some big stuff, guys, right? This is, this is some big stuff. Now when we sin, we're no longer sinning against the law. Now we're sinning against the one we love. Now we're sinning against Jesus, right? Now we're, now we're in this relationship. How many people in here you've been married at least five years? Ten years? Fifteen? 20. I can't, I gotta put my hand up. Uh, 30. 40. 50. Wow. Okay, man, we got a lot of. How about 60? I see that hand. Man, that is awesome. Give it up for our 50. It was amazing. Now, let me just pose this question. For. Those superstars in here who have been married 50 and, and 60 years. How did you make it that far, right? I mean, did you guys just live such perfect lives that you never angered your spouse, right? That you never did anything to annoy them? No. That's not how it happened. I'm sure they get on each other's nerves all the time, right? I mean, that's just, that's just marriage. It's relationships. We're humans. But how do you get to 50 and 60 years of marriage? You forgive each other. You, you love each other in, in spite of their flaws and in spite of their, their, their weaknesses and in spite of those things. But you also, you try to be better for them. You, you, you try to do things out of love for them. Right? And in the same way, when we sin against Jesus now that we're in this relationship, he doesn't say, well, see you later. You know, I'm going to give up on you because you, you sinned. But no, we're, we're in a relationship now. Jesus doesn't give up on us, right? Jesus keeps loving us. He, he keeps us in that relationship. And in every good relationship, we should desire to, to please the one we love. Because sometimes we can take this theory, we can take this idea of now we're in relationship, now we can do whatever we want, right? Now we can just sin all we want, and I'm good, I'm covered, and you know, Jesus will love me in spite of that. But how many of you know that's not a healthy relationship? When we just do whatever we please, when we do whatever we want. No, if we're truly in a relationship, we're going to love that person. We're, we're going we're to care for them. We're, we're going to love them. The Bible says that, that if we deliberately keep on sinning, there's consequences. But in a relationship, we, could, we should constantly be trying to grow. We should constantly be trying to, to love each other. I, I love my wife. She's amazing. If you haven't met Angie, you need to, you need to meet her. Yeah. We've been married now for, we just talked, 13? We're on 13. We're going 14, <laughs> right? Yeah, 15's next year. So we're, we're going on 14 this year, and, and man, I, I love my wife. Uh, one thing I don't love, though, is coffee. I hate coffee. But you know what? Angie loves coffee. And, and so I've learned that if I want to love my wife, that I need to learn how to make coffee, right? So I've had to do, like, and I don't understand it. I don't get it. I've tasted coffee, and no matter how much sugar and cream you put in there, it still tastes bitter to me. I mean, I'm sorry. Maybe I dropped in your book here, but just, I don't get coffee. But I, I love my wife, so I'm going to do everything I can, you know. Uh, so I've, I've had to do, like, the little pour-over thing, you know. I've had to sit there and push down the, the French press for an hour, you know, slowly waiting for that to go. I've had to learn to do the espressos and, and all these different, and Trust me, I've messed up many times. I've even, even though I don't like spending money, spent the, it's like $7 now to buy a coffee, right? But I love her so much, I'm willing to spend the $7 to bless my wife, right? That, that's just because she loves that. And in the same way, in our relationship with Jesus, shouldn't we do things to show him we love him? Shouldn't, shouldn't we go out of our way, right? If we're just sitting there like, I'm gonna see how much I can hurt Jesus, what are we doing that's no relationship. But we should constantly be trying to improve and get better. Not, not because we're trying to say, God, look how good I am. You know, I hope I get into heaven. No. We're saved because we've got a relationship with Jesus now. But we should be growing closer to him every day because we love him, right? And, and we care for him. That's how relationships work. See, we're, under law, we obeyed out of fear and out of duty. That's why we obey. Under the Ten Commandments, it's like, don't you mess up, Right? Don't mess up, or else, man, fire, God's going to come down and take you alive, right? We obeyed out of fear and out of duty, but in a relationship, we obey out of love and out of gratitude, right? Totally different system that we're on. So totally, we're we're in a system of relationship. So that's that's no condemnation, right? That's the new system that we're on. So if you're wondering, what happens to my sin after I get, or what, what happens if I sin after I get saved? Jesus forgives us. Should we still repent? Absolutely. But, man, if you mess up like the second before the rapture, I mean, these are things that keep you up at night, guys, right? Like, oh, God, don't come back right now. This is terrible. You know, I'm not right. I'm not God's still there. He, he's, 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 His grace is enough. His grace is enough. But that doesn't mean we can just go off and do whatever we want. We continue to grow. We continue to press in, we continue to love Jesus because we're in this new relationship. Now, those are just the first two verses of Romans chapter 8, right? There's, there's 39 verses in this thing, uh, and it's so good. We don't have time to hit it all, but I, I challenge you guys. Keep keep reading, keep going, because what's more incredible is that this passage doesn't stop at no condemnation. It, it says that you are, if you're in Christ, then you now have the spirit of life. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. See, check out verse 11. Here's what it says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You think about that. The spirit of Christ, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is living inside of you. Ponder that for a second. You have resurrection power inside of you. You have resurrection power. I just heard a story this week about a middle schooler who uh, wanted to be really fast, right? So, you know what he did? He took a can of pop and he shook it up cuz he thought this is like a rocket you know if you pfft. And so everywhere he'd run he'd he'd hold that pop can with him thinking he would be faster It doesn't work that way right But that's what he thought but imagine this you have resurrection power living inside of you Amen. What does that make you Right? What can God do through you? Because you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. See, God could have just said, you know what? I saved you. I did a bunch of work. That's nice. He could have left you there, but he didn't do that. Now he gives you the Holy Spirit to live inside you, to be your guide, to be that power in, inside of you. In and, and Romans chapter 8, it gives us a short list of just a few of the things the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. Verse 5 says this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. See, now that we have the Spirit inside of us, He changes our desires. The Holy Spirit changes our desires. We used to love to do sin. We used to love to do those things. We used to naturally be bent in that. But now it says that when we follow God, when we, if Jesus Christ is, we've accepted Him by faith, and the Holy Spirit's living inside of us. Now we don't have the desires of the sinful nature. Now we have the desires. Of the spirit. Doesn't mean we always follow it, but he's changed our desires. In fact, in chapter 7, Paul says, I don't understand what I do. Right? The things that I want to do, I don't do them. But the things that I hate, those are the things I do. But but catch in there that his desires have changed. Even though he's still a mess up, even though he's still a failure, even though we still sin after we're saved. Our desires have changed. Now we no longer get pleasure from that sin we used to delight ourselves in. Now it angers us. We, we hate that sin. We don't want to do that anymore. Now we want to please God. See, the Holy Spirit changes our desires. And, and the more we live in it, the less we, we do the things we hate to do, right? We, we start to follow those desires. He, he changes us. He changes our desires. Uh, verse 15 tells us this, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves, So that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought you, uh, or brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. So, this one's crazy what the Holy Spirit does in our life. It says the Spirit changes our status from condemned to children, to co-heirs with Christ. I mean, think about that. Right, again, God could have just said, you know what, I saved you from that, my pit, Right, I, I saved you from condemnation and, you know, I, I erased the board. I, I, I threw it all away. That should be enough. But instead he says, no, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to make you my child. Right? This is like little orphan Annie. Right? She had nothing. She had no parents. She had nothing. And all of a sudden, Oliver Warbucks, like the richest guy in the world, comes by and adopts her. Talk about going from nothing to heaven, everything. That's what God does for us. We had nothing. We were condemned to hell. But not only does he bring us to heaven, but he says, I'm going to call you sons and daughters. And adopt you. I mean, how amazing is that? How amazing is God's grace? I heard this quote this week from, from Stephen Curtis Chapman. He you maybe heard him on K-Love. He's a musician, but he's also adopted several children as well. And he, he says this, Adoption is the visible gospel. We were once without a name, without a hope and a future. But God took us in and called us his children. Adoption. We were once without a name. Think about that. We were once without a name. Even think about physical adoption. Maybe you've adopted a kid or, or you've been adopted yourself or you've seen that. I mean, just the, the restoration that happens through adoption. That, that now that child, they have a name. They, they have a name. They, they have a, a last name. God has changed us, He's given us His name. We're no longer condemned, but now we get to go to heaven. This is amazing news. He's given us a hope and a future. We had no hope. We had no future before, but now we have hope. We have hope that one day, in a trust, that one day that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us to be with him, and we get to spend eternity with Jesus, right? We've got a hope and a future because we have been adopted by the Most High God, by the King of Kings, by the Lord of Lords. And then he takes it another level further. Because we're his children, now we're his heirs. We are co-heirs with Jesus. I mean, this is amazing news. This is what resurrection power inside of us provides. We get to be co-heirs with Christ. So we have to stop thinking small. Right? We have to stop being trapped by the laundry basket. we got to stop being trapped by, by our guilt. We need to stop being trapped by, by small thinking because we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of us, and we got to stop living in defeat. we got to start living in victory. Verse 26 says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So another thing that, that Romans tells us is that the Spirit helps us pray. The Spirit helps us to pray. So if you've ever been in a situation where you're just like, God, where do I start? What do I say? How How do I communicate from my heart what God is doing inside of me? And and the Spirit's there, right? Jesus has given us access to the throne of God that we can talk to him anywhere, anytime. But the Spirit helps interpret. He helps translate. Because sometimes we just, you know, have you ever just been so down or or so lonely or or so hurt? Or you've maybe been experiencing so lost that you can't even get any words out and it's just like, oh. The Spirit translates for you. Right? And and just kind of puts that into, God, here's what they need right now. And he helps us to pray the perfect will of God. Maybe you've been struggling with sin or addiction. You know, the Spirit helps us to pray. If you don't know what to pray for, the Spirit helps us to pray. So after listing off all these amazing things that God continues to bless us with for simply having faith in Jesus, Paul comes to an interesting conclusion. And he asked some big questions for us to ponder. He asked some big questions for us to ponder. So so think about these questions. Verse verse 31 says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Remember, you got got resurrection power. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who Who can come against you? Who can stop you from serving God? Sometimes we allow friends, family members, bosses, people to speak into our lives. And we think, oh, they're stopping me. No. If God's for you, who can be against you? No one is greater than, you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No one can stand against God. Satan can't come and steal your salvation. He can't. He can tempt you, but only you can give in. Right? He can't steal your salvation. If God is on your side, then who can be against you? Verse 32 poses this question. He who did not spare his own son, so God who didn't spare his own son, but gave, gave him up for us all, how will God not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Sometimes we walk around thinking, God, can you meet this need? God, can you provide? Can God can you really help me financially? God, can you really, you know, restore this relationship? God, can you really help me with with my health issue? Can you really help me with all these things? And we walk around in, in doubt, and we walk around in fear. But this verse, you know, poses this question, right? You were condemned. You had no hope. There was no way for you to get to heaven on your own. It was impossible. And if God was willing to give up his son, to give up everything, to provide for you, to take you from hell to heaven, then don't you think he can meet other needs of yours? That's a challenging verse. It's a challenging verse, but it's something I think we need to ask ourselves when we're going through those times of of doubt, or we're going through those times of fear, right? If God's provided everything for us already, can't we trust him to provide for us in our needs? 33 and 34 tell us this. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? He's talking about you. Who can bring a charge against you if if you've accepted Christ as your Savior? Verse 34 says, who is he that condemns? Right? Who can condemn you to hell? Who can do that? For those of you who are living in guilt, who is your accuser? Who's your accuser? Who is the judge? Who can send you to hell? Sometimes the voices can be so loud around us, telling us we're not good enough. Telling us, uh, reminding us of our past, reminding us of the mistakes that we've made. Right? Maybe your your family's reminding you. Remember when you did this? You know, because they haven't forgotten. Maybe maybe the the law, maybe the the, the judge in town is reminding you. Hey, you know, don't do that again. You can't. You know, and bringing up your past, bringing up those things. Human nature. We're going to bring up past. But who can condemn you to hell? Who is the judge? Only God. Only God. He is the only one. And guess what? You know what he said about you? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. So we're walking around in guilt. If we have accepted Christ as our Savior, the only judge is God. And he said there's no condemnation. He's already declared your sentence. Right? There's no condemnation. Verse 35, the last question that Paul posits here is this. Who shall separate us? From the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of God? We've now moved away from law, and now we're living in relationship. Right? And you got to figure, oh, what's going to happen? Who's going to separate us from God's love? Who's going to separate us? Right? Has anybody here ever had, you know, a broken heart before? Come on, we've all been in middle school. Right? Where, Where we thought, oh, I just love that person so much. And then the next day, they're, you know, with somebody else. Broke your heart. Maybe you've been through divorce. Maybe, uh, you know, you've had somebody stab you in the back. Maybe you've been disowned. And so for us, in this fallen world, it's really hard when somebody says, I love you, to trust them. To believe that that love is unconditional. See, we don't have a box to put God's perfect love in. We can't compare it to anything on this side of heaven. We can't compare that love because we've never experienced an unconditional love before. We've never experienced one that never gives up, one that never leaves us. But that's the kind of love that that God offers us. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us is is an unconditional love. And so he says, who shall separate us from the love of God? And he comes to this conclusion in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. So why do we walk around living in guilt, living in fear, living defeated, when God has victory for us in mind? When God has love in store for us, we're going to go through those storms, but he's going to be right there with us. And who can stand against God? See, church, I believe that if we can understand this passage, if we could really get Romans 8 inside of us, this, this from no condemnation all the way to, to no separation, then, then uh, I, I believe that we would have the, insurance, the, the assurance that we have of our salvation. Right? We would have assurance that we have victory. We would have assurance that we, ha- that we have Jesus and he will never stop loving us. See, Romans chapter 8 gives us the assurance that God will provide for us. And if we could have that, if we could grasp the assurance that Romans chapter 8 provides, then we would never want to live any other way. We would never want to go back to the old way. We would never want to run back to sin. We we would never want to go back to religion. We would never want to go back to the law. We would never want to go back to the sinful nature if we could truly grasp the depths of these verses. I believe that. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. No separation from his love. Worship team, would you come? As you go on after chapter 8, you read in chapters 9 and chapter 10, Paul starts addressing his fellow Jews, the Israelites, God's people. And what he starts to say is this. He says, I love my fellow Jewish people. I love my Israelites so much that I wish I could give up everything. I wish I could give up everything so they could understand Romans chapter 8. That's what he tells them. I wish I could, I could, I could just insert this into their minds because he knows that, that the Israelites, they're living by the law. They're living under the old covenant. I mean, this is a people that's been blessed. I mean, they, they have had everything. They, they've gotten, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them the law. Right, the, the Israelites, they got to be rescued from Egypt. They got to go through dry land when the Red Sea was parted. They got to see God's provision. They got to see God overwhelm the land and, and give Israelites the promised land. right? They got to see God's hand. They got to see the pillar of fire by, day, uh, by night and the pillar of cloud by day. They got to see all of these. They got to eat manna from heaven. They got all of these different things. But then when Jesus came along and he was the fulfillment of this law, He was the savior. He was the one that actually delivered them and changed them. And now we don't have to live under the old covenant. We don't have to live by law. Now we can live by faith. But the Israelites were still holding on to the old covenant. They were still trying to live by the whiteboard. And he said, if I could just let them know that righteousness doesn't come by obeying the law, but righteousness comes through faith. If I could just tell them to stop living by religion and start living in relationship. I'd give up everything for that. That's what he tells them. Chapter 10, verse 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And Paul's heart is breaking for them. I believe today, If Paul were to speak to us today, he would say that, not not just to Jewish people, but he'd say, to those who were raised in the church. To those who were raised in the church who've been on the front row, who have seen God's salvation personally, who have seen the power of God, who have seen the glory of God. Right? But you're still living under law. My heart breaks for you. You're zealous for God. Right? You're zealous for God, but you know, it's interesting in a church setting, we can hear all the message, we can do all that. But but for so long, we've been trying to do what's right. We've been trying to do what's good. We've been trying to live a, a righteous life. And it's funny how over time, we can forget where our salvation comes from. We forget that it was by faith that we're saved, not by works. But we live as though we're saved by works because we're just trying to do what's right. For somebody, maybe you're brand new today and you've been, you know, living however you feel like and and man, you, you've hit rock bottom and today if you would just say, you know, hey, I want to get saved and, and, and you believe and you say, I believe that Jesus died and rose again and you ask him into your heart. That person today, maybe that's you. You wouldn't be living by works because you, you've got no good works to stand on. You'd just be living by faith because that's what you know. But for many who are raised in the church, We've got so many good works to stand on. We think that that we did it all on our own. And that's what Paul's saying to the Israelites. You guys are living by works. You're living by religion. And you need to change and you need to move into living by relationship. Verse 21 says, but concerning Israel, he says, talking, God says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be disobedient and obstinate I don't want to be sitting there so caught up And trying to do good things That I miss a relationship with Jesus I want to live in relationship Not live in religion You know it's easy To start thinking Again if you've been in church for any amount of time That we had such great faith That our faith saved us Not that Jesus saved us That our faith saved us Because we just You know We're so great, and then we can continue on to that thinking, well now if I do good things, that's what keeps me saved, but that's wrong thinking Uh, our our son James, he's one years old he's one year old, and uh, and I love it he'll look at me across the room and and all of a sudden he'll just lift up his hands and and start going like this, right and you know what I do every time pick him up because I love him Because I care for him. Now, did he have anything to do with being picked up? Did he do any work? No, he just held out his hands. He says, Dad, I need help. And when we have faith in Jesus, that's simply what we're doing is saying, God, Abba, Father, I I need help. Save me. And God does all the work. All we did was lift up our hands. That's, That's all we did. But sometimes we can be sitting here saying, I am the best hand raiser that the world has ever seen. And it's because I raised my hand so perfectly that God saved me. No, that's not how it works. We're saved by faith. But God was the one who saved us. He he changed us. So why do we think we can save ourselves after we get saved, right? We need to live in relationship, not in religion. We've got to be in the new covenant, not in the old covenant. So in chapter 10, Paul shares hope with his fellow Israelites. He says, hey, you've been living by religion, but let me tell you, you can live by relationship. It's really simple. He tells them all you have to do, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And it's just that easy. God, I believe that you're Lord. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. I believe that you died and that you rose again. So today, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Today can be that day. Today, your life can be completely changed. Or maybe today, man, you've been in the church so long, you were in diapers in the church. And you started living by religion. And today, you need to go back to relationship. And you just need to say that prayer again. God, I want to make you the Lord of my life. God, I want to enter a relationship with you. I'm tired of the old way. God, I believe you died and rose again. And I believe that God is going to completely transform you. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes this morning? And I just want to give you that opportunity today. If there's anybody in this place, maybe you're that, that first one, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and today, you want to experience freedom like you've never experienced it before. You want to go from hell to heaven today. You can be sure that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if that's you today, would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray with you today. Is anybody in this place? today you've just been living by religion you've been living by law been trying to get by by your good works and today you just maybe you know you've been saved for a long time but but today you just you just need to make that commitment to say God I need to enter back into relationship with you I need to, to stop living by religion I need to live in a relationship if that's you just slip up your hand I want to pray with you today yeah thank you Lots of hands up. Just all over this place. Let's just pray this prayer together today. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying, for rising again. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I've been living by religion. I want to live by relationship come into my heart. Make me new. I want resurrection power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I believe this morning, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, that that God's doing a work, that that God set people free for the first time today. I believe that, that God is changing you from religion to relationship. And so right now, I just want to Call you. During, this, during this time, the worship team is going to lead us. But come to these altars. Find a place just to surrender to God, to give it all to Him today. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would do a mighty work, that you would move in us, that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As God leads, I encourage you to come to this place. Uh, when, when you feel dismissed to go, you are dismissed. But, but may God move in you powerfully today as we see Him.